What is up? Uh, it is June 16th as I record this. Right now, I just got back from wandering the town of Las Cruces for a good hour as I was waiting for my car to get, you know, the oil change and sort of the annual checkup. And it's the summer, so I've been basically checking things off the list. And I kind of caught myself in this weird mode. And uh, going for the walk while I was waiting for my car was uh, just an incredible boon. This is something I used to do all the time on a regular basis uh, at various other phases of my life. The, The going for the long walk and letting my mind wander and, you know, just thinking about things but not in a in a in a like a agentic way am, am i using that word correctly not in a in a way that's self-conscious you know trying to think about something but just allowing my mind to just go wherever it's going to go it's not quite like meditation um Walking meditation is something I've always kind of struggled with because I, once I go for a walk, I'd so much rather do this other thing that I'm trying to uh, stammer my way into explaining, which is just allowing the mind to just wander where it may. And you are kind of observing it. There is a, there is a little bit of a witnessing consciousness in there in that it's just kind of your mind is going where it's going to go and you're just kind of allowing it to, you're not really focusing on a particular problem. But this is something that, you know, if I wanted to obnoxiously call it part of my quote unquote spiritual practice, it's something that I've just stopped doing. Uh, I had a different uh, sort of lifestyle different motivations that when I really remember doing this in earnest probably started in um, California when I moved to San Francisco from upstate New York and I went on this big adventure at the age of 23 I didn't know anyone in San Francisco and San Francisco is this gorgeous city Um, I eventually got a place in the lower Haight and rented this beautiful flat uh, with a bunch of friends that I had met. And uh, now, I'm, oh my God, you could never, uh, a riffraff like myself could never get in, rent a place in this district. Um, I returned to San Francisco several years ago and, and saw this particular neighborhood where I used to live. And it's been, ve- you know, very much um, gentrified. I don't know what to say, but. Um, it looked like a neighborhood that <laughs> would not want, um, you know, poor uh, college graduate school kids like uh, my friends and I were then to be renting a flat. I can't imagine we could afford to live there. But anyway, it was uh, the great thing about this particular uh, little district was that uh, I could walk uh, so many interesting places from where I lived. 
one, one thing I really liked to do was walk from this part on Lower Haight Street up through the Haight-Ashbury district, this legendary district where all the, the hippies were hanging out in the 60s. And you go all the way up through the Haight-Ashbury district and all these funky stores and there's all these young, crazy people trying to sell you drugs and um, all kinds of uh, interesting characters. And then you go up and you're in Golden Gate Park, which is this beautiful park that has all kinds of things to see. And occasionally I'd walk all the way um, from my house up through the Haight-Ashbury district, all the way through Golden Gate Park, all the way to the beach. And then, then you're at the ocean. And it was a long walk to be sure, and it would take me a while to get back. But uh, it was just the perfect scenery to just allow my mind to wander. And I always had things on my mind. I was in this process of sort of becoming who I was. And a lot of the things that would go through my mind back in those days was, you know, what what am I doing? What's the, what's the meaning of this? I'm going to be sipping my coffee, by the way, throughout this. So um, sorry, not sorry. Oh, that's good coffee. So yeah, so I would, you know, I'd always have things in my mind, like, what am I doing in San Francisco? And what do I want to do with my life? And uh, there was there was a lot on my mind that needed to be processed. And these walks just were really fruitful in that sense. And this is all before the internet was a thing. I mean, maybe it was, you know, invented by then, but no one was spending time on the internet. No one had smartphones. No one was listening to podcasts. No one had earbuds in their ears. So what did one do with their time? Because, you know, I'm finding a lot of my downtime now is spent with earbuds in my ears, listening to a podcast, watching stupid shit on YouTube. So when these things weren't available, going for the for the long contemplative walk was my thing. And it, it was a, an important thing. And... I would have all kinds of epiphanies and it would help me really kind of get my shit together and get a handle on, on my life. And I would do this a lot and it felt amazing. And then other stages of my life after I moved from uh, San Francisco back to the East Coast and I was living in North Carolina, I eventually settled in Carborough, Chapel Hill. And it was very similar. I lived in a place where I could walk into town and there'd be all these interesting shops and, you know, coffee shops and bars and the UNC campus and all kinds of things to see that would either just inspire thoughts and reflections or, you know, I would just dip into various bookstores and places like that and find inspiration that way. You know, you'd wander into a used bookstore and there was a used copy of Alan Watts, The Wisdom of Insecurity, and you'd pick it up and start reading it. It would blow your mind. and um, Or you'd wander into a bar or something and have a, a, a day beer or catch a movie or something in the middle of the day. Just do something to break your pattern. Uh, or I would just, you know, go for these long walks, like I said, and just think. And I would, you know, write songs in my head and philosophize and, and try to figure out again, what am I doing here? What, you know, wh- what's the direction of my life? Now, when I moved here to Las Cruces, it's not, you know, A, I'm at a different phase of my life. You know, I'm, I started here roughly at the age of 40, but, 
you know, I can walk around my neighborhood, which, you, know, you know, I do occasionally or go for a run, but there's nothing to see but, you know, residential houses. The, the town is not set up uh, to be really like walkable. And also, yeah, I mean, you hit a different stage of your life where it's, it's not so much about what am I doing here and where am I going because you kind of already have arrived in some sense by the time you're 40. But uh, in another sense, not so much. So here I am at 50 and uh, bring my car to get an oil change. And one of the things that I have to do whenever I go to this place is, you know, I'll get there even before it opens at 7. I'll get there at like 6.45. There's already like two or three cars ahead of me. And you drop your car off and it's going to it's gonna take till 9 o'clock for them to get done with your car, even if you're first in line. But it's really the only way I can uh, get my car in and out, get the oil change if they have other recommendations, get that done and just get it done in a couple hours and not have to have my wife pick me up. And so what I do is, since it's relatively early in the morning and it's not blazing hot yet, I just walk around that neighborhood in Las Cruces, which is there's really nothing super interesting to see talking about like the McDonald's the local high school and you know it's not particularly beautiful but I made the decision to just go for one of these these walkabouts or whatever you want to call them and even though I had my earbuds and a podcast queued up in my pocket I was like you know what I'm just let's just do this old school and just walk around and um and then of course I, I rediscovered the utility of doing this the value of doing this more coffee Hmm. Um, and yeah, and it was just interesting because I had some of those same type of thoughts and maybe it was just because I'm doing that same sort of activity. I could see myself walking around the streets of San Francisco, you know, back during that decade from, you know, 23 to 30 or, you know, it was really, that wasn't even a decade, but it was more like 23 to 28 then in North Carolina, which is roughly, you know, from 28 to 38 with a few, you know, other stops in between there. And, um, yeah, and, and just realizing when I'm walking around how that by putting those earbuds in my ears and, and constantly succumbing to that, that, uh, that urge to pump more content into my brain, I am shaping my own mind in a way, and, and I have a little this audio clip that I want to play shortly that kind of explores that. But um, I also am depriving myself of this, you know, this core uh, practice or just routine that I had that really connected me to myself. And so it was great. It was great to just walk around and uh, you kind of, you contemplate and I'm walking, you know, in these, this big loop. And it was also somewhat metaphorical because you realize that, you know, even back in the day, uh, you know, I can romanticize the, that time in San Francisco and I'm romanticized the time in North Carolina because I was young and I had this, this energetic sense of what was to be and, and becoming and potential and all that. But the bottom line is, you know, I would get in certain funks back then and I had to work full time. So my basic routine was, you know, I'd have a full time job and I would come home and I would have these these times where I could wander around. And, and I, even though what in hindsight, it feels like 
you know, this, these were incredible periods of my life. Uh, the day to day didn't always feel that way. I felt a lot of times lost and like, what am I really doing? What am I really accomplishing? And then when you look back from the vantage point of being 50, you're like, well, what did it all amount to? You know, all the dreams that maybe I had, uh, when I was in my late twenties and thirties, you know, did that, did they really happen? When I was dreaming of being a rock star later on, how did that pan out? And one of the things that occurred to me while I was walking today is, you know, even if it quote unquote did pan out, you know, take any one of those things. Uh, Let's just say when I was in San Francisco, I somehow wrote a book and became this famous writer or whatever the, the super dream was back then. Well, even if that had happened, yeah, there would have been an initial rush of excitement and novelty, and I would have, you know, been whatever you do, go on a book tour. Then there would have been pressure to write another book, and eventually, whatever that dream was, it would have became become the routine. And I would still be in the same position that I'm always in, where, you know, now I would have been thinking, uh, okay, I, I, I wrote that best-selling book, now what? You know what I mean? What did it really amount to? I'm still here just with myself and I'm still going to get old and die. And Or take uh, being a rock star. Let's just say that the band was signed to this great indie rock label and we ran around and went on tour. Now we knew we knew people that had that lived this dream and all of them to a T or, you know, now I guess they have kids and jobs and they're not touring anymore, or if they are, it's every once in a while. But even if things had worked out better than they did, or how we thought we wanted them to work out as musicians, we would have been excited, we would have had the CD, we would have had, you know, played some shows and went on tour, but eventually that would have just become the norm. And then you're like, okay, well, here I am. I Now what? And do I have to, you know, we have to do a bigger and better album, do I have to get even more well-known, or... Um, so I don't think it ever was about uh, what actually happened. And of course, of course, this is just another one of those trite insights where it really is just about how awake and alive you are in the present. And it always has been that way. And it also something that occurred to me on the walk that it's a lot of times about just the people that come into your life. When I was reflecting on the past, it wasn't so much about this event that happened or that event that happened. It was people. When I was thinking of myself walking in San Francisco, I was thinking of these Norwegian friends uh, that I had lived with, Harald Eide and Urjan Knutsen. <laughs> I still remember their names. These are just guys I ran into, and it was they were really cool guys, and they were like my best friends in San Francisco and helped me get through that sort of transitional time. And then when I I went to the California Institute of Integral Studies to study like Eastern philosophy and all this, of course, then I, I met my, um, at the time, girlfriend, Denise, and then I went on this long five-year ride that really centered around her. And I think of these people and other friends that I had met during that time. That, that's what I think about, the people that I intersected with. And even then, I still had, um, you know, friends from college that came out to visit me, and some of those characters were still in my life. Um, 
And then, of course, when I moved to North Carolina, it was all about, again, the people. Uh, my buddy Eric and all the guys in the band and the adventures that we had. I think of, I think of those people. And so the reason I'm talking about it now is, again, I seem to have lost track of this in, in middle age. You get... Uh, you kind of locked into a routine. Now I've got the full-time job. There's no more thoughts of going to grad school and what am I going to do? You know, I'm doing the thing. I'm an elementary school counselor. Of course, I could change my careers again, but I'm basically doing the thing now. And uh, it's just a different vibe. And I don't want to discount that there's still people in my life. Uh, a lot of those people are just the little people, the kids that I work with are the characters and, you know, I have, you know, good relationships with my coworkers, and I've got my one or two buddies here in Las Cruces. But, you know, I haven't really invested a ton in those relationships. And that's one thing that occurred to me on my walk that's missing is I'm not as open to um, intersecting with different people and seeing where that takes me now that I've gotten into this routine. So, uh, you know, there's obviously a lot that I can do about that. Um, and, you know, I'm not as into this idea of potential and becoming, I've mentioned this before, but, you know, I still want to recapture that sense of who knows what's going to happen. And, uh, not just in a negative way, because, <laughs> you know, I've gotten into this mode over the summer. I've had all these things that I, I just need to take care of. You know, today was the car. And then I had, uh, yesterday was I went to the dermatologist, and that's the dreaded every six months to see, you know, what the, my skin cancer situation is. And that's been terrible in the past. And it turned out that, you know, I just had some precancers that had to be, you know, blasted with this liquid nitrogen spray. But I didn't have any biopsies, and so I won't have to endure any surgical procedures this summer. I also got blood work done for my uh, CLL, the leukemia also earlier this week and got those results back and basically everything seems stable on that front and I was worried that that could have went in a shitty direction because I've had you know some bruises that seem to take a long time to heal and I had this weird bloody nose that made me think that things were going south on the the blood cancer front but uh it seems that you know I'm still fairly stable and I don't god forbid I'm going to get into this mode where I just, you know, wait for the next three months when I have to have the next set of blood work again. And it's just now my life is going to be just, you know, about uh, getting all these medical checks and, and trying to prolong uh, my existence or avoid physical decline. I mean, that's certainly not as exciting as uh, you know, having dreams about being a rock star or a famous author. So I have to have something that gets me going. And that's why, uh, you know, I chose to just do a podcast. And what are the things that uh, are my hobbies and interests that are, you know, they get me excited about life. And one of them is doing the podcast. And I want to also get back into writing on my blog again. And um, of course, music. I'm always playing a lot of music, but uh, not doing a whole lot of recording. Speaking of music, I've had a, a terrible run of finger injuries. <laughs> I just had gotten over slicing my finger really badly on a butcher knife. And it's hard to play the guitar when you have, you know, your fretting fingers are all wrapped up. 
that had just healed, and I, I did some traveling. Uh, we went, and my wife and I visited her family last week. And uh, we were in Arkansas hanging out with her brother and their kids. And one of the um, fun little moments was the little girl, Estelle, she's about four. She wanted to have a dance party. So we decided it was going to be an 80s hair metal dance party. And um, her dad was playing all these classic hair metal songs. And one of them was uh, Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. And the and Estelle, she wanted the lights off during the dance party to sort of set the mood. And um, I was sitting there, and then the big guitar solo was coming up. And I looked on the table, and there was a it was a bug zapper. It's this little thing in the shape of a tennis racket, and I knew what it was. And that if you pushed a button on the side and swiped at a bug, it would zap the bug. But for my purposes, it was just it looked like a you know, a tennis racket. So I picked it up as if it were a guitar and I was sort of miming playing the guitar solo, but just being careful not to push the button and zap myself. Well, somehow, I just don't know how it happened because it was kind of dark. At the end of the solo, I, I went to put the uh, bug zapper back on the table and I my hand was all wet and I was thinking, oh my gosh, do I, do I have uh, bug guts on me or what the hell is the deal? And then someone turned the light on, and, I mean, blood was gushing out of my thumb, like you wouldn't believe. It was all over the floor. And I had somehow sliced the shit out of my thumb on this bug zapper thing. And the kids were <laughs> somewhat uh, horrified at the amount of blood, and they thought, you know, I'm going to have to have my thumb amputated. But anyway, so now that's been, and that's my sort of guitar strumming thumb, and that's just now healing up so i think i can maybe play a little bit of uh of guitar later on so that's going to be a plan um amazingly this little rant has already gone like 20 minutes and i'm already I'm amazed that that when i can just ramble um but i want to play this little this little recording because this is food for thought this is tristan harris who has uh a podcast called uh, Something Something Attention. I forgot the name of the damn podcast. But uh, Your Undivided Attention, that's it. And he's a guy that I've referenced a million times on this podcast um, in the frame of, you know, attentionology and really focusing on especially what social media algorithms and internet algorithms in general are doing to our attention and just listen to this. I found this uh, super interesting, and I want to reflect on it for a second. Here we go. We've been domesticated into a different kind of species of human, the kind of human that works well for the extractive model of these tech platforms in the same way that we don't have wild cows anymore. We have the kind of cows on this planet that are best for their meat and for their milk. We're becoming the kind of society who are best for extracting attention, which means this kind of outraged, fearful, anxious, divided, polarized, tribalized, disinformed audience, because that's the kind of traits that are brought out by this model. I mean, take an example. So YouTube takes down all, all right. this bad So think about that for a second. Um, he's talking about, you know, cows. I mean, there is a thing, wild cows, and they do exist in certain places. 
Um, but they're really nothing like the cows you see out in a field. The cows that you see out in a field have been created to suit uh, society's need for, for meat and milk. So they've been shaped. They're just almost, they're a new thing. They're still a cow, but if you put the modern cow out into the wild, they wouldn't last for a second, you know what I mean? And he's making this analogy to us, and he's saying that these, this model, he says, or this the way I'm thinking about it, these, these algorithms are creating a type of person, and then, of course, as a collective, it's, it's shaping society, that is exactly the type of person that suits the system, um, you know, easily polarized, easily outraged, uh, easily persuaded into engaging with these platforms in particular ways, easily persuaded and, you know, being a consumer in certain ways. And so when you have this, what I've been calling the algorithm, uh, pointed at your brain, and of course now it's it's pointed at uh, all of our brains or most of our brains. It's actually turning us into a new type of thing, uh, and a thing that is um, again it's uniquely suited for attention extraction. It's like we're the you know like cows are. Are, are suited for, you know, meat and milk extraction. We're, we're very well suited to have our attention and our, and our resources extracted from us by this, by this system, this algorithm. And damn it, you know, we, we really have to resist. Um, and I know this sounds ridiculous to, to think that, you know, just merely by going for a walk that I somehow resisted this process, but the way I'm connecting it is this, you know, I've noticed in myself, um, how easy it is to fill all the downtime that I have, whether I'm washing dishes, doing my chores, in this case, waiting for my car to be serviced. There's always content that's backed up, you know, there's a, all these podcasts that, you know, I just got to get through. And here's a, you know, I have a free hour, so I should immediately put those earbuds in and, and shoot that content into my brain. Now, some of these podcasts are interesting. It's not that the, any individual piece of content is not worth listening to. But what I've noticed is I'm not taking these walks. I'm not having this, uh, this downtime where the the shaken snow globe of my brain has a chance to settle. So I'm not having these moments of clarity as much um, because I'm not giving myself the time. I'm not using the time that I have in these ways that I'm, I'm filling that time with uh, you know, consuming content constantly. And because I'm choosing the content, you know, I have this illusion that somehow, you know, I'm so aware of this process, you know, none of this brainwashing um, stuff is going to happen to me, but it is happening to me. 
I do feel it's not just that I've aged. It's not just that I'm 50 and facing different challenges that gives me the sense that um, some of the Elan Vital or that that inner flame isn't burning quite as brightly. It's not just that, you know, part of that might be youth in that sense that anything's possible. But some of it, I think, is that I've now settled into this routine where I've uh, allowed, you know, I've, I've suckled at the teat here of the algorithm a bit too much. And it, I, I do feel it's shaping my mind, my brain, uh, changing my habits in ways that, uh, yeah, I just can't justify so I don't know. It's weird. It felt like just merely taking an hour-long walk was a bit of a wake-up call for me, for me to realize that I need to treat uh, this media consumption and this all this shit that we're that we're all faced with this infinite amount of stuff coming at us. I need to treat it like um, you know, like it's coffee or alcohol or some anything that has these the this addictive potential. Because um, if I don't, it's too easy to fill all my hours with it, and then it's not just the lost time. Because again, any given podcast or thing that I I look at could be interesting. Even it's just what is it doing to my mind? What is it doing to my attention? How much time am I spending in a state of clarity relative to when I'm, you know, keeping uh, tighter controls on, on what I'm consuming? So anyway, I found that little that little analogy that Tristan Harris made to be pretty interesting. And uh, yeah, I guess I, I just might leave it there. Um it's just about lunchtime. I've been watching the the Euros. I'm a big soccer fan, so I might see if there's another game on. Might do some musical recording, but um, yeah, we'll see. Um, if again, I have so many little epiphanies, and then it's hard to put them into practice. But I'm feeling a little more motivated to get out of this mode where all I'm doing is you know getting the car service, getting this work done on the house, you know, going to this doctor appointment and, and really take advantage of the fact that this is my summer and this is my time to let my mind roam free and break out of patterns and discover new possibilities. So anyone that's out there listening, I hope some of this made sense and that you're having yourself a good summer and that you yourself are you know, connecting and uh, having these these moments and um, living your best life. So I'm going to leave it there and I will check you next time. Bye. Sometimes I think you faked your death So I'd stop faking my Take and take and take until there's nothing left I get it wrong till nothing's right But I got a secret to keep
Sleep, walk. 